Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, this is Mick Jones of Foreigner, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Hello once more. Welcome back again to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon. We are pleased, as always, to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, available on Apple, Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. Shouldn't be too hard to find the show. Um, We are up to episode number 52. Um, This one, we are going to be calling Firing Robert Plant. Now, I had a bunch of titles uh, planned for this. My favorite title from a lyrical point of view was going to be Robert Plant's Shadow Cabinet. But it does, you know, what we're going to talk about doesn't quite fit the definition of a shadow cabinet, which is basically the opposition of the party in government having like a shadow defense minister who complains about everything the defense people do and finance minister and environment minister, basically a backup poor man's uh, you're not in control uh, guy. So, so that had nothing to do with shadow cabinet. I was going to call it war room, but um, there's so much good vibes we're going to talk about it in this episode that uh, that war room didn't seem uh, quite right better angels robert plants better angels i had to look up the definition of better angels and that eh, doesn't doesn't quite fit either um I was going to call it helping Robert Plant, but I figure firing Robert Plant sounds like he's going to be fired, but really, we are talking about firing up Robert Plant. Um, so this episode is going to be about um, a bunch of guys I, I think should be appreciated more than they are um, for for essentially turning the Robert Plant catalog and Robert Plant's music into some amazing, amazing music. Um, this is all sort of early days of the Robert Plant catalog because I am going to attach each of these also to a fond memory uh, from my own life in uh, in uh, maybe some interaction with these guys in some cases. Um, but yeah. So, so that's basically what we're going to be talking about here. Personalities that, you know, like the guys like Carlos Alam, Al, uh, Alamar, Al, yeah, you know, whatever, Al, Alamar, uh, and Robert Fripp and Adrian Ballou and these people who, um, and Iggy Pop for that matter, who fired up David Bowie um, during certain times. I think Robert Plant even needs that more and craves that more. He's a guy whose whole sort of personality uh, post-Led Zeppelin has been built on the idea of he's a just a, a an eager, greedy seeker of new experience and new music. Um, so he loves working with all these different guys and he happens to find really cool people people to work with. Um, so we're going to be talking about a few of those and, uh, and like I say, attaching a memory to it. So let's get on to our first one here in History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, episode 52, Firing Robert Plant. Let's take a listen to this. This is uh, In the Mood. In the Mood. 
All right. So, of course, you're going to remember that song. Um, this is from uh, Robert's second solo album, The Principle of Moments. Um, and I wanted to play this uh, for you to celebrate Robbie Blunt. Robbie Blunt, the mystery man. You know, he doesn't want to be interviewed ever. I think I've tried half-heartedly over the years a few times. He came from, uh, you know, such great acts as Bronco and Silverhead and Broken Glass, uh, Stan Webb's Chicken Shack. You know, we, you know, basically he comes from this old rock and roll thing. Um, but we don't really, you know, he, he certainly wasn't famous then. And then after Robert Plant, he did very, very little, a few sessions. Um, but basically, and, and he had this really cool look to him, this kind of rockabilly look with the sideburns and stuff. He was a cool looking dude, um, but a mystery man. You never really heard from him. But he comes into this band, the Robert Plant band, uh, on the first album. Uh, pictures at 11 and and more so on this album i was going to play something from pictures uh from 11 i was actually going to play uh a minute 38 to 208 of moonlight in samoa where there's a beautiful kind of spanish guitar solo but he basically on that record he's a little bit heavier and a little bit dirtier this record um i i okay well i um to bring in my memory here um the reason why I want to celebrate this from a personal point of view, when this record came out, um, it was July 11th, 1983. Um, for a few years there, I considered it the greatest album of all time by anybody. I, I just thought it was my favorite album ever, ever, ever made. Um, I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. I loved In the Mood. I thought, what a novel construct this was. Um, I loved Through with the Two-Step. Um, you know, bunch of stuff all over that. Um, other Arms. Um, just such a really, really cool album. Loved it way more than the debut. I thought the debut was just a little kind of all over the place and a little annoying in spots. Um, but this, so this is like a, a more refined, definitely much quieter version of what you got on the debut. And so my memory at the time is sort of this. I mean, I, A, I thought it was the greatest album ever made, so here I am enjoying this music. But B, um, loved the drumming on it, and this was a time when I was in bands where we actually, you know, um, we actually played live and got paid for it and stuff like that. So it was it was just a cool summer in and around Trail and Creston and Fruitvale, BC, uh, and we had our band. And I was definitely woodshedding a lot on the drums, and I love the drumming on this album. It's almost all Phil Collins. It's also Barry Moore uh, Barlow from. Um, from Jethro Tull, um, but just really cool, tasteful, quiet, slow drumming all over the album. The first album had some Cozy Powell and stuff and and Phil, um, but but it just, no, th this is the record. Absolute masterpiece. Um, you know, for many, many, many years, I just considered it, of course, better than any Led Zeppelin album. You know, now it's still one of my top five probably favorite albums of all time. Um, but physical graffiti, I think uh, I, I probably like uh, a little more. Um, so that's one memory. The other personal memory is actually going and seeing the band live on this tour in uh, at the Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver. And again, uh, one of the greatest live shows I ever saw. Um, and, uh, you know, driven very much also by Phil Collins drumming. He's one of my favorite drummers of all time, but he was just like a monster drummer on that occasion seeing seeing them live. So he's he's busier, the songs are a little more spirited. They're songs from the first album blah blah blah. Uh incredible incredible uh show, bought the t-shirt. 
kind of this cool little pastel little gray shirt with the you know the the, the pink and the whatever colors from uh, from this record um, so those are my memories uh, I don't have uh, sadly I have no memories of any interaction with Robbie Blunt because I've never gotten within uh, you know I, I never I've never talked to the guy I mean I would still love to interview him one day um, okay so let's move on um, to number two this is uh, you guessed it Robert Plant again this is through with the two-step. All right, so that obviously is the intro um, sequence uh, to Through with the Two-Step, this amazing, amazing, heavenly, big, classic, epic ballad from Robert Plant. Again, I mean, basically, I, I think this band is doing everything we wanted Led Zeppelin to do, but this is actually a better version of Led Zeppelin. I know, I know, it's uh, it's blasphemy, I'm sure. Um but um, what you heard there was a lot of um, synthesizer and keyboards, and that is Jez Woodruff. And my personal memory here, uh, why I picked this from a memory point of view, is that I did indeed get to interview Jez uh, either once or twice, but definitely one long time. Um, I remember interviewing him uh, to talk all about uh, his keyboard work on Technical Ecstasy by Black Sabbath when I was doing my original Black Sabbath book in 2005, Doom Let Loose. Uh, and he was great great guy to talk to i just really got along good with him um you know another totally mysterious character like robbie blunt you just never hear of him again but indeed you know he is firing robert plant he is helping robert plant bringing him into a a new age bringing him into the 80s you know this could have been a horrible you know brain synthesizer album doing all sorts of wrong things with electronics like another favorite band of mine did rush um but no i mean basically uh this somehow all the all the heavens aligned and and the stars aligned and this is a record full of synthesizers and keyboards and they sound gorgeous and timeless and there's nothing to be embarrassed about so jez does an amazing amazing job on this record like i say he's also on the debut He's also on the follow-up, which we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, my personal memory uh, is of talking to Jez. And even I even had this this really rare, and still have it, this rare Jez solo album. And another memory is uh, I was, for, for a very brief time there, I wrote a few of these articles for Digging for Gold for Record Collector magazine in the UK. And one of them I wrote up was uh, on this on this record, just because it's so bizarre having, having a Jez record. Um, so yeah, Jez, Gerald. You know, another thing I want to say about... About jazz, and I hope I'm getting this memory right. Um, but basically, anybody I ever talked to about jazz, and possibly including jazz himself in the stories he he told me, he's had sort of a um, a bad luck life. Like things would happen, he'd almost get his break, and then something calamitous would happen. So it's almost a little bit like uh, the Bill Ward situation. People would look at him and say, you know, oh boy, poor Bill, poor jazz, you know, bad luck along the way or whatever, treated badly. Um, so there's this there's this subtext or narrative to Jez's life that that um, you know I seem to recall from people who have talked about him and like I say from my own interview with him where 
you know, there was this idea that uh, things never quite went right for Jez in his career. Um, but he can be very, very proud of his work on Technical Ecstasy, and certainly, certainly uh, this record of the three Robert Plant albums he's on. He's he's one of the dominant forces. It's literally, I would say on this record, Robert Plant is obviously the most important person on it, but the second most important person on it is Jez, from a musical point of view, what he brings to it. And then because it's such a spare, sparse album, obviously when Robbie does anything, it's absolutely beautiful. And then the same with the drumming situation. When Phil does anything, it's absolutely beautiful. So so this whole record, even though it's a pretty mellow record, um, I still stand by to this day and say it's one of the greatest albums ever made, if not the greatest album ever made. All right, let's take a short break and we shall be right back. Okay, back again, episode 52, Firing Robert Plant. Um, And like I said, this is about firing up Robert Plant. This is about uh, Robert uh, getting together with uh, super interesting people, people with ideas, people who might not be very famous. In fact, I think his, you know, if you look along the years all through the solo catalog, it is uh, people who aren't really famous at all for anything um, that he's kind of getting involved with in, in a lot of ways. Certainly, I'm okay. Obviously, I mentioned Phil Collins and Barrymore Barlow and Cozy Powell and stuff, but but most of these people are are kind of minor characters. Um, so, um, well, here's another semi-famous person I, I want to celebrate a little bit. Um, so uh, let's take a listen to this, and we shall discuss. This is uh, Robert Plant once again with Little by Little. Okay, so this was the shocking album that I mostly hated and still don't like very much, Shaken and Stirred. So Robert Plant, what he likes to do is absolutely blow things up, shake up his life. When things are getting too normal, uh, things are getting too predictable, um, you know, he wants to completely change in another direction. And this is absolutely one of the top examples you'll ever see of anybody changing directions, certainly. Um, So... He made a fairly Zeppelin-esque album, and then he made kind of like a mellower Zeppelin-esque album that is maybe like a uh, a Robert Plant and John Paul Jones album in, in principle of moments. Uh, but, you know, granted, they were both kind of Zeppelin-esque in a number of ways. Um, this is absolutely not Zeppelin-esque. Um, but the weird... So this album is full of um, weird, um, odd... Uh, keyboard sounds, uh, you know, high technology. This is, um, you know, so what I find really interesting here is that, you know, jazz, obviously being a keyboardist and being into technology, it's not as much of a leap for him to move into this absolutely new, new wavy, um, you know, synth synth rock, um, art rock world. Um, but Robbie Blunt has been dragged in that direction. And it's bizarre seeing Robbie Blunt uh, taken in a direction of, say, an Andy Summers of The Police or The Fix or something like that, chiming away. You know, everything you say about Alex Lifeson in the 80s, Robbie Blunt is probably, I don't know if he's dragged kicking and screaming. We never hear from Robbie Blunt. We don't know what he thinks. Um, but he's certainly 
in a very weird space here compared to his past and and the first two albums. Uh, as is Jez, he's in a weird place. Um, but I wanted to play this to celebrate Richie Hayward. Richie Hayward, um, sadly now no longer with us, um, uh, the Little Feet drummer. So he's coming from this cool, cool world of uh, of being an avocado mafia, um, you know, sort of uh, in between the singer-songwriter country rock thing and Steely Dan with the band Little Feet. I love Little Feet, huge Little Feet fan. Uh, and he's this amazing, amazing drummer um, in Little Feet. So so he's in a very weird place here as well. He's almost coming from the same kind of world as a, as a Robbie Blunt uh, to arrive at this uh, at this. The Fix, Human League, Soft Cell, uh, Teardrop Explodes, um, Shriek Back, probably one of the better examples of what this sounds like, uh, place. Um, so so here he is, and my fond memory associated with this is uh, I actually got to sit down with Richie and the rest of the guys in Little Feet on the bus when they came to Toronto and played the Phoenix maybe 15 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago at this point. Um but, you know, Richie, you know, I certainly asked him about Robert Plant and he regaled us with a few stories. And, and I just off the top of my head, I can't remember, but he definitely said that it was a strange band making strange music. And, you know, it, it was just a very weird situation uh, to be playing that and even to be called by Robert Plant. It's quite bizarre. You know, but a neat thing about Little Feet, I know, I know, um, you know, guys like Roger Glover are are hugely influenced by Little Feet. You know, he worked with uh, was it Delaney Bramlett, um, Delaney Delaney and Bonnie Bramlett. Yeah, so so his solo albums have a little bit a bit of that feel. So I mean, musos musicians loved Little Feet. It's it's not really a surprise. But so there's my fond memory. I mean, I remember pulling up, and I think it was Fred Tackett. Um, is it Fred who's also no longer with us? But anyways, taking him to find a Chinese restaurant. So it was just neat talking to Richie about Robert, talking to Richie about jazz. So there's my fond memory. And I got to tell you, that show that night, again, one of the greatest concerts I've ever seen in my life, uh, Little Feet Live, about 15 years ago. They had, I can't remember her name, but they had that co-female lead singer with them. She was amazing. Um, so yeah, there you go. And little by little, I wanted to play you a song that, so what I played you there was my favorite fill probably on the album. I loved his fills on this. Um, it's the most conventional song on an album full of, of a lot of strange, sweet, and sour music um but here you hear richie playing like Stuart copeland i mean this there's a lot of police-like elements uh to this album he's recorded like Stuart copeland he's playing like Stuart copeland there's a little bit of uh you know busy hi-hat action i thought that phil is a little Stuart copeland i love phil's that end with uh with the two uh symbols in rapid succession at the end of a phil i've always liked that sort of thing Kim Mitchell's drummers uh, do that, I think, a fair bit. Um, so anyways, there you go. That was Little by Little, the most conventional song you're going to hear on that damn album. Very strange album. Still don't like it very much to this day. All right. Moving on. Number four here in History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, Firing Robert Plant. Take a listen to this. This is Calling to You.
All right, I wanted to pick that one um, because of my link to, um, again, personal memory, um, but I wanted to celebrate someone who I love as an artist. He's an incredible dude, uh, Francis Dunnery. Um, now, you know, when I was putting to the, together this episode, um, I realized Francis is not, um, you know, he's not credited a lot on this record. So I went to the songs that he's officially credited on, uh, which are, uh, what are they? Promise, Promised Land? Uh, where's my notes here? Uh, anyways, he's, he's credited on two tracks. Yeah, Promised Land. So I went to Promised Land. And I actually uh, found the guitar solo in that. Uh, but the guitarist that's credited on all over the whole album is a guy by the name of Kevin Scott McMichael from Cutting Crew. He's a Maritimer from here in Canada. Sadly, d- died of cancer, 51 years old, um, uh, quite a while ago, I believe. Um, but anyways, he's the main guitarist on the album. There's even And the other song that Francis is officially credited on is... Um, uh, there's also, you know, also credited is uh, Richard Thompson, who, of course, is a famous guitarist. And probably if there's a solo, I didn't even find the solo on it, but it's probably by Richard if it's on there. Um, so I asked uh, this morning, I asked Francis, I, I said, like, where are you on this? Is that your solo on Promised Land? And, and he uh, he answered me back and basically said, no, I'm on I'm on like calling to you is my main thing. And I said, well, you're not even credited on that. And he says, no, they screwed up the credits. That's me. So he, so you're hearing it here. Um, he is the guy on the best song on this album, the most Zeppelin-esque song, the biggest song, the first song on this album, on an album that is super highly recorded, uh, regarded in the Robert Plant canon. I mean, it was considered a late-period uh, comeback album for him. You know, people weren't crazy about the, the middle two records, and certainly no one liked Shaken and Stirred. Um, but um, but the Fate of Nations album is is very very well regarded. Came out May twenty fifth, nineteen ninety three. So I was glad to hear that I could include Francis in this um, because uh, you know he's he's not he's not. Um, He's not super credited here. Uh, it's his only Robert Plant album. But the other big thing about Francis is he he was uh, he toured with Robert, and Robert loved Francis. He thought Francis should have been a big star, and for obvious reasons, Francis is a, is an amazing, amazing talent. Um, and uh, and so he definitely fired Robert Plant. He fired him, you know, he fired him up for this record, but he also fired him up on on the live tour that that was to follow. So he is definitely part. Part of the Robert Plant solo family, um, you know, my personal memory um, is uh, really, you know, I gotta say this. I mean, it's it's actually because I spent a lot of time listening to Francis's solo albums, like over and over again. I was playing the likes of Fearless. Um, the ones I played the most are Fearless. Tall Blonde Helicopter, and definitely Let's Go Do What Happens. Played those records over and over and over again. I love Francis's uh, sense of humor, his sense of, um, you know, he's been through a lot. He's been through the ringer, and he'll wear his heart on his sleeve on his albums. Um, they're poppy albums, but there's a lot of, um, you know, atmosphere and a lot of experimentation, and the albums are very different from each other. I love his voice. He has one of those Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel voices one of those who knew like who who sounds like this right um you know i always joke that it's like who who would have thought phil collins's voice the drummer in the damn band sounds like peter gabriel well francis sounds like those two guys as well um he came from a band it bites who were one of these cool um uh, you know one of my favorite um uh post 
post-golden uh, period progressive rock bands, you know, with the likes of IQ and Palace and certainly Marillion, but It Bites is one of these uh, cool, um, lesser regarded um, or lesser known uh, bands. But they also had a little bit of heaviness in them, which is kind of cool. And they had Francis's vocals and these and this and this pretty heavy guitar. So It Bites was a great band, and that's probably I'm not I'm not sure, but that, that's probably where Robert uh, got an appreciation for him. Who knows? I mean, Robert, like I say, it was just kind of cool. It's almost like Robert is tapped into this uh, this world of like you just ask a few people, and who do you know? Who's who's an unknown legend? And then these legends come to the fore, and that's when you hear about them. So that's my fond memory. One more weird fond memory uh, <laughs> associated with Francis is um, I have a fond memory of being uh, on the Motorhead bus and just it was just me and Phil Campbell and we had a, you know we were hanging out and having a good time and interviewing him and stuff and Phil Phil always made me feel good because he'd always introduce me to people as a here meet Martin he writes books you know he, he'd always say like he thinks I'm really smart or something right um, but anyways um for some reason, the uh, the topic uh, moved moved around to Francis Dunnery, and, and Phil just lit right up. I, I guess Phil and Francis are our buddies, and he was like, "Let's phone him right now!" Oh, I can't believe you know Francis Dunnery. This is amazing. Let's phone him right now. And I just said, "Nah, nah, I don't, I don't want to phone him. We're running out of time." And I I did need to interview him as well. Um, so, uh, but that was kind of cool. It's it's like let's call Francis. Let's call him right now. Um, so I thought that was neat. Um, but uh, but yeah, I've always considered Francis as part of the Robert Plant family and and I just really think it's cool uh and I I thought it was serendipitous that this morning I could I could uh you know uh email him and basically he says no I was I was calling to you even though he's not credited on there like I say he he said that basically they um they screwed up the credits. I, I mean, I didn't go into detail with them, but I, it'd be interesting to hear exactly, exactly where he is on the album. I'm sure the major Led Zeppelin people know this kind of stuff, but uh, but uh, I'm not sure. Okay, so we're on to our last one. Um, this is a little bit of a change, of course. Um, take a listen to this, first of all, and we shall discuss. This is Paige Plant with Upon a Golden Horse. <laughs> All right, I wanted to include that one because another great guy that fired up Robert Plant, I thought, um, was drummer Michael Lee. Uh, Michael Lee, uh, great guy. Um, I'll get into the personal memory part of it in a second, but um, I love what he does on this song. I was going to include uh, When the World Was Young. Um, uh, yeah, that's the name of it. That, that starts really mellow. Uh, this is all off of Walking Into Clarksdale, by the way. So that, that starts really mellow and then and then it gets really driving later on and i thought michael really kind of drove 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 that song um michael lee's part of the family because he also was on the fate of nation tours uh, fate of nations tour i believe he was the drummer there along with francis uh, on guitar um 
But uh, but he's also the drummer coming into the band on the first Page Plant album, that kind of throwaway one. I can't even remember the name of it. What the heck is it called? No Quarter. You know where they where they redid. You know they went and did the the Marrakesh versions of or of of a few Zeppelin songs. And there's a couple of originals on there. I'm looking at it now. Um, but. Uh, and this is where I'm even more contrarian uh, to uh, to plug our YouTube show, The Contrarians. Go check it out. We've got about 15 episodes there. Um, but to be even more contrarian, I walk around and tell people all the time to blank stairs that walking into Clarksdale is like the lost Led Zeppelin album. And if you, if you inserted it into the um, ranking of the Led Zeppelin albums, it would certainly be somewhere in the middle to the upper half of, uh, of all... Uh, Led Zeppelin albums. It's it's officially a um, Jimmy Page Robert Plant album, and um, yeah, it's funny. So No Quarter says that on the cover too. Jimmy Page Robert Plant, and these and the edges, uh, the spines say Jimmy Page ampersand Robert Plant on uh, on No Quarter. Of course, of course, yeah. Get this, you know they always screw this stuff up. I mean that's that's why people hate talking about this record. On the spine, it's called No Quarter colon. Jimmy Page ampersand Robert Plant unleaded. On the front, it says Jimmy Page Robert Plant no quarter. Okay, so walking into Clarksdale, what does it say? So it is credited to Jimmy Page ampersand Robert Plant colon walking into Clarksdale. So that's a little tidier. But anyways, I love that record. Michael Lee is so he's part of the band even on the first uh, situation where they start touring and he's the drummer all over walking into Clarksdale. What I also love about walking into Clarksdale is Jimmy and Robert credited the entire band. I hate this, but I can't remember who the bass player is right off the top of my head. But anyways, four guys credited on all the songs on the album. That is really cool. So Michael Lee gets credit on every single song, uh, songwriting credit on walking into Clarksdale. I think he deserves it because... He comes in and he is this very John Bonham-esque drummer with a big fat sound, big raucous sound, just like his personality. Michael was a big guy, a little bit overweight. Uh, you know, I, I, I understand, uh, you know, he, he drank a lot. He had a bit of a drinking problem, apparently. Um, I, I can't remember where I'm seeing this because I tried to look it up. Because well, I'll get into it in a second. I it's I'm uncomfortable even saying that about him, but it, because now I'm forgetting whether it was he told me that directly or or whatever that he you know, but or other guys said he had a reputation. But anyways, enough dwelling on that. Um, so he's an amazing part of this. So I feel like he's a guy who is firing up. Uh, Robert as well, but I'm sure he fired up Jimmy Page as well and, and drove this record into being such a cool, energetic, awesome record. I love it. I, it, it feels to me like a, like a really ragged, daring, almost falling apart version of Principle of Moments because it can be quite a quiet record at time and contemplative uh, and spiritual almost. Um, and so, yeah, I think Walking into Clarksdale is an amazing record. So my fond memory... The, the way I'm attaching a memory to all these is I got to hang out with Michael backstage when uh, Thin Lizzy came through in one of their later non-Phil Linnet lineups and played Massey Hall. So it was great hanging out with him. He was a super nice guy, very accommodating backstage. But also at that time, I got to, you know, chat with John Sykes, uh, which is 
interesting to me or important to me because I never got to talk to that damn guy ever again. I can never track him down and do a proper phone interview. Uh, Scott Gorham, of course, the guys. Uh, and also got to hang out with Deep Purple that night um, because this was Phil, um, this was um, Thin Lizzy backing up Deep Purple. So it was it was hanging out with all these great legends. But that was the time I got to hang out with uh, Michael Lee. But the other part of the fond memory here is that... Um, you know, I saw the Ian Gillen's Inn lineup show at the at the Phoenix, and I'm pretty sure Michael was the drummer for that. Um, I'm looking it up online. I'm, you know, I'm saying fond memory of Michael, I, but I can't remember the drumming part, but I'm saying, wow. So he was there for that, apparently. So that's cool. And I also recall seeing Jeff Martin from the Tea Party on his solo situation. I love that Exile in the Kingdom album. Michael Lee is the drummer on that. Um, And I saw that tour and um, I'm sure that was Michael Lee drumming there. So Michael Lee was kind of like uh, like Ted Nugent's drummers where you where you suddenly started seeing these guys all over the place in Ted's band or Alice Cooper's band or whatever. Um, But uh, but so there was this tight little period there where where like it seemed like I was seeing Michael Lee all over the place and I and I definitely um pretty sure I got to meet Michael Lee on another one of these occasions. And then the poignant part of this memory uh, is the fact that Michael Lee is no longer with us. He died of an epileptic seizure. He was apparently out uh, out that night, uh, came home and was found on on the um on the floor beside his bed, uh, you know, um having died of a seizure. Uh, Danny Stanton says seizure. Other places say epileptic seizure. So I'm not quite sure. Um, Another interesting trivia point. He died on November 24th of 2008. November 24th of 1991 is the day that Eric Carr and Freddie Mercury died. Um, So both of them, uh, November 24th, but both of them, 1991. Michael Lee is November 24th, 2008. So yeah, unfortunately, Michael's no longer with us. He's a guy I met. Richie Hayward is no longer with us. He's a guy I met, had a a great time talking with. I thought in my brief time knowing these guys, they seem to be great guys. Jez I interviewed. Um... Francis and Robbie, yeah, great guitarists. So there's all these enablers of the Robert Plant situation that I just feel fond, uh, like a little bit of a connection to some of them, but a super connection to these records. I love the Robert Plant solo catalog. Sadly, I haven't kept up really, really, really closely with the later catalog. It did tick me off a little bit when he didn't want to write, so there was a lot of covering going on, and I don't think I want to hear Robert Plant write and sing uh, and and be with all these musicians that fire him up, but I don't want to hear him do any kind of covers whatsoever, ever. Um, but yeah, love the guy, love the catalog, love his uh, you know intellectual curiosity. He loves music, obviously. He's a massive musicologist of various things, and I love uh, you know all these cool different phases he went through to make uh, all these records. All right, wow. So this has been another one of my very longest episodes. I'm going to wrap it up there. You can go to the Facebook page. Uh, you can go to martinpopoff.com for any of your book needs. Hopefully, you need some of these books. Um, basically, uh, just recently, I had 100 more copies of Judas Priest Decade of Domination in, 100 more copies of uh, Holy Smoke, Iron Maiden in the 90s. I do get Empire of the Clouds, Iron Maiden in the 2000s next week. Um, the Bluish Occult got a few of those left. But anything that's in print, I'm signing and selling out of my office here. Uh, there are PayPal buttons for everything to make it super easy. Until next time, uh, yes, this has been Martin Popoff for History in Five Songs. Talk to you later. 
Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. <laughs>